0: All right, hello, church. Once more, love the soothing sound of the Jersey Shore. That was—that's was what I kind of relate that to. Is the shore soothing? is it, is it a soothing place or is it a hectic place? Uh, d- depends on who you depends on who, depends on who you ask. Yeah, I haven't been at all this summer, so maybe I will get out there at some point. My name is Jalen Baker. For those of you who do not know me, I serve as pastoral resident here, and we are still snap dab in the middle of our sermon series in the summer, which is going through the psalms. And Pastor Scott gave the preaching team, the teaching team, uh, the privilege of choosing our own psalms to preach on or to teach on. And I believe most of the psalms we're going to be talking about in the summer are going to be around the laments, right? But today I I wanted to steer a little in a different direction because Psalm 142 is one of my favorite psalms. And it's a bit different than a lament because it is, known in, as a, it is known in a specific genre of an individual complaint, right? So the structure of it is very lamenty, but a lament can have an individual tone and it also can have a communal tone, right? But here David is talking about his very individual circumstance, right? And this morning we find David in a very unique spot. He is trapped in a cave. Quite literally, we find David trapped in a cave. And while he is in his cave experience, we're going to be studying this morning what is his response, how does he react, and how are we then called to respond based on the word of God. Before we dive into it, let's go, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word, God, we thank you so much for the life that is in your word. This morning, Father, I pray that you reveal to us what you would have our hearts, our minds, and our souls receive from the power and depth of your word. Help us this morning, Father, to focus on what you are saying to us in our experiences and focus to help us understand how we are called to live out your word. In our everyday lives, in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. We find David trapped in a cave this morning, and the context surrounding David's predicament, you can find it in in first in First Samuel uh, twenty-two. David is on the run from Saul, King Saul. King Saul had grown very jealous of David, right? Saul saw how God was with David, and he also saw how people were responding to David, right? And what Saul foresaw was that David at some point was going to overtake him as king. So instead of ushering in a new generation, instead of prepping David to be the rightful king of Israel that God chose, Saul got jealous, right? And rather than helping David, he wanted to eliminate him altogether. So Saul sent men and his army after David to try to kill him. So David, we meet him on the run from Saul. And the safest place that David could find to hide out for Saul, from Saul was a cave. We find him trapped in a cave, safe for a moment, but safe in one of the darkest places one can imagine. He's he's trapped. Life has hemmed him in. He has Saul coming after him, and he's trapped in a cave. He's literally stuck in the middle with nowhere to go and no one to turn to, so we may think. And you and I may not have ever had the experience of being trapped in a literal cave, but you, and I have all, but you and I have had our share of cave experiences, right? We have all been trapped by the pressures and the harsh circumstances of our life. We've all been trapped and hemmed in by life because of the things happening to us and the harsh circumstances and trials and tribulations of life. Where well, we feel trapped. We feel hemmed in. We feel caved in. We feel like we are in a sea of darkness with no way out. And the question becomes, when we find ourselves in a cave experience, what should we do? Who do we turn to? David, this morning gives us very specific Details of what we should do. What should we do? You ask. The answer is simple. We should pray, right? And, and 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 as I was reading this this week, I asked myself, why would David pray, right? Why wouldn't he spend his time trying to figure out how to how, not not only how to escape from Saul, but maybe how to unseat. Saul, why wouldn't he go to a place where he could gather his allies and, and, and truly maybe form a coup to, 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 to unseat Saul? Why didn't he strategize? Why didn't he, why, why did he feel like the only place that was safe for him was a cave? He hid out. And the first thing he does is pray. And the Lord gave me a simple answer to this question. The reason why David prays is because God is real. And because God is real, that means that God is there with David. And if God is there with David, then then, then God is the only one who is capable of delivering David from his cave experience. See, there are times in our lives when we are in a cave experience where we forget about the reality of God, the the there-ness of God. We get so ensnared by our own will and plans to come out of that cave that we forget that we serve the one who is able not only to sustain us, but who is able to deliver us from that cave experience. David prays. Pastor Ralph West, a pastor out of Houston, Texas, says that there's something about the there of God. T-H-E-R-N-E-S-S. There's something unique about his there his nearness to us. God is always there. There, no matter the mistake, no matter the flaw, no matter the situation we may ever find ourselves in, he's there. And since God is there, he's able to lead us and guide us out of whatever cave experience we may find ourselves in. David chooses to pray. Now the question becomes, we pray because God is real and because God is there, but what should we pray? How, we, how, how how are we called to pray? And that's where, we, that's, that's where we get into our text. Let's start with verse 1. David says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I love this. He says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. So when we find ourselves in a cave experience, right, and there is no cave too large and there is no cave too small, Where God won't meet you, where God won't be with you, and where God won't hear you. But David says, I want to make sure that God hears me, though. So I have to use my voice. I love this. So I'm not going to say a prayer in my head. (laughs) I'm not going to say a prayer in a whisper. I'm going to use my voice and cry out to the Lord. I thought about when a little child has a terrible fall and they scrape their knee when they scrape their knee, that little child, for that little child, you know, that that, that sees the scar and sees a little bit of blood, that for that little child, that is the darkest moment of their life at that moment. They can't imagine anything worse happening. And you know what they do? They cry out. They scream to the top of their lungs, mommy, daddy, please help me. They turn to the ones who can help them out of their situation. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get too sadity, we get too bougie, we get too stuck up to where we don't cry out to the Lord when we have a need. If there is a need in your life, David says, use your voice and cry out and say, Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm in pain. Lord, I need you with my voice. Not in my brain, not in my thoughts, but with my voice. I tell the Lord what's on my heart. David says, when you pray in a cave experience, we have full permission to be radically honest with God. God is not afraid of any problem on our plate. He's not afraid of your fear. He's not afraid of your doubt." He wants you, he wants us to let him in. Again, nothing too small, nothing too large. God wants to hear from you because God is always with you. And then he keeps going. He says, and I love this, he says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Now, this is interesting, right? That word complaint, it's not... I think that English doesn't do that word justice. Because when we think about complain, at least when I think about it, this is not like a teenager at a dinner table saying, Mommy, I want more ice cream. You promised me more ice cream. So he, they, they, they complain, right? The Hebrew rendering of this word is I pour out my troubled thoughts to him. So this is not just some petulant complaining to God. No, 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 no. This is me saying, Lord, these are my thoughts. This is how I'm stuck. This is how I feel trapped, and I pour it out to you, right? I pour it all out to you. I place it at your feet. Again, permission to be radically honest with God about what is going on in your life. There is no no such thing that's off limits to God. There is no such thing that is too far for God. If it's on your heart, if it's in your mind, God wants to know because God is the only one who can fix it and who can bring you out of it. Right? In the midst of his cave experience, he cries out to God with his voice and he pours out his troubled thoughts. I tell my trouble before him. And then we get to verse 3. This is my favorite verse. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. <laughs> when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. What does this mean? When my spirit faints within me, what that's saying is when I have come to the end of my strength, when I have nothing else left to give, when I have when I am at my literal wit's end, It's okay because, God, you know my way. When I cannot see a way out of this cave, when I cannot see a way out of this situation, when I cannot strategize, when I cannot push my way through, when I cannot be strong enough to do it, God, you're enough. God, you know the way. And I love how he He says, you know my way. This ain't just any old way, but you you have personalized your plan and your will for me. And you said, the way out for you, I know. I know your way. So therefore, you, you, you can put your trust in me and rely on me that whatever you need, whatever you emphasis you need, I know the way. He says, you know my way. You know exactly what I need. So when I am at my wit's end, when my strength is gone, you know my way. I came across an article last week. I don't know how I came across this article, but uh, an airplane pilot was being interviewed, and I found it interesting. So the interviewer was asking an airplane pilot, I find it interesting that I've heard from pilots that when planes are flying over water, I've heard pilots say that it can be be really hard to fly those planes, and and I've heard pilots say that that there have been a lot of near crashes. An airplane pilot say it really is an interesting phenomenon because when you're flying over water, it can be hard to tell the difference between the sky and the water. So your eyes are deceiving you. However, i found that When I cannot see out in front of me, when my eyes are playing tricks on me, I can't rely solely on my eyes, but I'm grateful that I have an instrument. I can look down at my instrument, and my instrument can see what I cannot see. When I look down at my instrument, it tells me which way to go. It tells me where not to go. It tells me that land is near. It tells me where land is exactly. I might be far or I might be close. But as long as I pay attention to my instrument, the radar will let me know exactly where to go. And, and, and the pilots that I've learned over many years whether I may be in a storm or over turbulent waters, that my instrument keeps me at the right play pace. My instrument keeps me on the right track. I just have to look down and, and, and rely on something that, that can see for me what I cannot see. Come here, Dick, as well. Every once in a while, when you are stuck in a cave experience, you need to look down at your instrument. Every once in a while, when you feel stuck in your way, when it's dark in your life, there's an instrument at your disposal. And if you open this thing up, you have the wisdom of God at your disposal. You have the counsel of God at your disposal. When I am stuck, when I, when I have no other strength, God, you know my way. I got to turn to something that can see for me in the midst of a storm when I cannot see for myself. Look down at your instrument, church. You have something at your disposal that can see for you when you cannot see. Every once in a while, we got to be like seasoned airplane pilots. Don't rely on these old foolish eyes. Don't rely on these old trickster eyes because my eyes can deceive me. But oh, I'm so glad that I have an instrument at my disposal. And I have a God that knows my way. He knows my way to healing. He knows my way to peace. He knows my way to redemption. He knows my way to wisdom. He knows my way to restoration. He knows my way. He knows my way. And... When we find ourselves in a cave experience, just like David, we have to remember who our God is. And and, and I want to say here as well that as much as we have permission, right, to tell God our problems, to tell God our feelings, We have to be careful to not let our feelings dictate our worship. What do you mean? So we can get so lost in the sauce of how we're feeling that our feelings take over our mind. And when our feelings take over our mind, we forget who is actually in control. When our feelings take over our mind, We forget who we should actually be worshiping. Pastor Scott said last week that worship is the assigning of ultimate worth to something. So you cannot assign worth to your feelings because your feelings are fickle. Your feelings change with the wind. So assign your worth to the thing that is unchanging, to the thing that is unwavering. David is not assigning worth to his feelings. He's assigning worth to the one who can change his situation and the one who who is only able to fix his problems. Don't let your feelings dictate your worship. Point your worship to the one who is able to bring you out, and the one who's able to deliver you. The second part of verse 3 says, When my spirit, my, my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. So, that, so the second part of that verse is interesting. He says, You know my way, but Lord, in the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. So when you look at the entire verse in its totality, what he's really saying is, they set a trap for me, but because you're guiding me, you're going to take me around those traps. Because you know my way, their traps are no match for you and your way, for me. See, 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 that's, that, that's David is acknowledging that even though my situation is dire, it still pal- pales in comparison to the matchless power, energy, and wisdom of Almighty God. You know my way. And then he goes on to say, Look to the right and see. There is none who take notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. It's interesting because throughout the Psalms, David often says that the Lord is to my right or that someone is to my right. And the person on the right is usually the advocate, the person on the right is usually for that person. So David here is saying that in this cave, I'm alone, and there's no one there to advocate for me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Let's keep reading, though. He says in verse 5, I cry out to you, O Lord, because I say that you are my refuge and you are my portion in the land of living. So catch this, catch this, catch this, catch this, catch this. He says, even though I'm alone, in this cave, where human beings have failed, God, you stand in the gap. Where people have abandoned me, where people have left me, yes, I'm alone in this cave. But God, you are my refuge. It may seem like I have no refuge, but if I keep praying, God, you are my refuge. And, and, and let me you, can I say this? One of the most powerful features of prayer, church, is this. You know what prayer does? Prayer is one of the primary means by which God changes you and your posture towards him. Check it out. One minute, David says, I'm all alone. No one stands with me. I have no refuge. The next person, what does he say? You're my refuge. I'm not alone. You are my portion. See, sometimes... God is, not sometimes, all the time, God is just as concerned with changing your situation as he is with also changing you. I got to change you too. Because so here's the thing, yes, you're in the cave, but just because you are in this cave experience does not mean I'm not with you, I'm not for you, I and I won't bring you out. And see, every once in a while, we need to be reminded of that. And prayer has the power of reminding us about the promises of God and and, and the words of God. Prayer is not just for us to pour out our complaints, but it also serves as a way that we can be reminded by the Spirit who God is, what his promises are, and once we are reminded of these things, we change. I posture change so I go from feeling alone to feeling confident that the one who stands with me, the one who is for me, knows my way. And if that one knows my way, I can now stand up with a boldness and say, Lord, even though I'm hurting, I can put my trust in you because you are my God, you are my Savior and you won't leave me, and you won't abandon me. This is what prayer can do, especially when we find ourselves in a cave experience. Prayer changes our posture towards God. It changes our inner person. It says, even though I came into this prayer hurting, And now I'm leaving in courage with peace and joy, not because my circumstance changed necessarily, but because I was reminded who's on my side. I was reminded that God is with me always, and I'm confident that if I have God on my side, I will be able to go. I will be able to walk into freedom as long as I walk in the ways of the Lord. David models models that so well for us. And I want to I dig into this real quick. He says, you are my refuge, you are my portion. My portion. I love this because when God was talking to Israel, he would often say to Israel, we see this in Numbers. He would often say, you know, you don't have to depend upon the people of this world, the systems of this world, or the kingdoms of this world. I am your portion and I will take you into the land of the living. What does this mean? When God says that I am your portion, he's saying that I am the basis of your existence. I am your sustainer. I am your creator. I know the plan that I have for you. And David continues the tradition right here. He says, you know, even though I'm in this cave, I can still affirm that God, you are my Portion. This cave experience does not define me and who I am right now, but you know who does? My portion. The one who created me, the one who is the basis of my very existence. He affirms: You're my portion. You're my sustainer. You're my keeper. So therefore, I can go on. My God, my God, my God. And then he goes back. He says, in verse 6, in verse 6, he says. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. So, church, I don't want to, before, before we get into it, I don't want to sell you a dream, right? Life is hard, right? This prayer, as much as it is peppered with hope, David is still going through. He's still, he'll he say, you are my refuge in one minute. And then say, Lord, I'm still crying out, right? Verse 6 says, I'm still brought very low. This is real. This is a real person going through real stuff in his life. And as much as he is encouraged by his God, he is still deeply, deeply hurting in his life. And church, I want, this is meant for me to say that life is not this, 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 this one-way, this linear equation. Life is complicated. It's extraordinarily nuanced, right? Problems are messy, right? And the emotional state that we can go through, even in prayer, ranges. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying God gives you permission to go through the motions, to truly feel all the feels that you're feeling as long as you're pointing toward Him as long as you are directing all of your feelings toward him. Don't don't point it toward, uh, 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 for me, it'll be fried chicken, right? Don't point it towards something that's going to give you temporary happiness. Don't point it towards something that's going to give you temporary pleasure. No, that stuff doesn't work. Point it towards the one who can fix it. Point it towards the one who is able to counsel you, who is able to guide you. But you have full permission to feel. Feel, church. Cry. Use your voice and tell God how you're feeling. There's no shame. There's no shame. And so here's the thing. I love this because when we're in prayer crying out, the Spirit has this Beautiful and powerful way of reminding us of who God is and what his word says. Pray with your instrument. Pray with your instrument in hand so that when you cannot see a way out, the instrument can guide you. The instrument can lead you. The instrument can counsel you. Feel, but feel, but point those feelings toward God and not toward stuff because stuff will let you down. My God, my God. So, David says, Attend to my cry, for I am brought very Lord, Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. I love this because David now, he is now directly asking for divine intervention, right? He's saying, Lord, look, I undid my complaining. I've done my crying out. I need you to fix this. Fix it now. He says, Deliver me from my persecutors. I'm sick of Saul. Saul is corrupt. I'm sick of this dude. Please deliver me from him. I need your intervention. But watch what he says first. Then watch, 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 watch the next part. For they are too strong for me. Can I tell you why I love this? When he says they are too strong for me, you know what that is? It is a recognition that I cannot do this by my own power, so therefore I need someone who is strong to intervene for me. David says, it's time for me to relinquish control. And see, when we are stuck in such dire circumstances in our lives, oh man, we want to control the whole thing. I can figure my way out of this. I can think my way through this. I can plan my way out of this. I'm smart. I got this thing. And what a shot to the ego it is when God says, fam, what? No, you don't. This is too much for you. I need you to acknowledge this is too strong for you. And see, when you relinquish that control, you're putting all the power of your life, of your will, of your actions, of your habits, you're putting all that in my hands now. The one who created you the one who is able to sustain you, and the one who ultimately knows your way out. David says, they're too strong for me, Lord. But they're not too strong for you. I cannot deliver myself, so I need you to deliver me. And ooh, God be sitting up in heaven like, let's go, baby. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this moment. You finally realize. You cannot do it. And, you know, just re- you finally also realize, bro, sis, this ain't your life. I know your way. I created your life. Let me handle this thing. God's like, hand me the keys. And we like, oh, God. Uh, uh, we shaking. We shaking. Hand me the keys. Give them to me, Doc. I got this. Let me drive us out of here. Woo! Let me take us home. I got this. Let me handle it from here. And see, in prayer and what the psalm teaches us, it is a beautiful thing, church, when we get to that moment. And see, this is why I say it's important for us to feel all the feels. Because we need to get to a place where it's like, man, I really can't do this. I really can't handle this. I really am not strong enough. I can do my job, I'm pretty good at parenting, I'm pretty good at so much of my life, but this situation right here, woo, I can't do it, right? And when you feel the feels and you're honest with God, it brings you to that place of vulnerability where it's like, man, Lord, you've been, you're right. I, I can't do it, right? And when you're brought to that place, God's like, there you go. Because little do you realize is that your recognition of your fallibility, your recognition of your uh uh, uh of your I'm gonna make up a word of your incapability to do this. Oh no, is that a word? Incapability? Un- is that a word? Incapability. Thank you so much. I get ca- I, I I get caught up. I get caught up of your incapability to do this. What you what you don't realize now is that it's, it's gonna ultimately lead you to your freedom, right? Now that you have released it to me. Now you're about to be free, I mean really, really free, free in a way you cannot even imagine. It's too strong for me. David is brought to that place. Verse 7, last verse, and we out, and we out of here. David says, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. I love this. Bring me out of prison. You know, prison here is definitely a metaphor, Right? It is a metaphor for our current circumstances. It is a metaphor for our own individualized cave experience. And David is saying in his literal cave experience, bring me out of this prison. Again, he's asking for God to intervene. But, 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 but I w- don't miss the second part of verse 7. The, or, or the, the second part of the first part of verse 7. Let me, let me rephrase. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. My God. What is he saying? He's saying, Lord, here's the thing. As much as I would love to claim credit, as much as I would love to be like, for people to be like, David, bro, you was in that cave, and somehow by your ingenuity and innovative uh, thought process, you got out of that thing. You made it out, bro. You did it. But see, David, remember, has been brought to a low place. I can only get out of this if you bring me out. So David, he acknowledges that, says, Lord, I want you to bring me out of this so that I can give your name glory. I want you to bring me out of this so that when people look at my life and when they look at how I've been delivered, they give no credit to me. They give credit all to you. I want my life to be a living and breathing example of how you have received all the glory because I give you all the credit for bringing me out of my cave. And see, when we are in that cave experience, in our prayer to God, in, in our intense vulnerability, we're like, Lord, I can't do it. But you know what, God? I want you to bring me out of this prison because I cannot wait not only to give you glory for bringing me out, but I can't wait to tell other people of how I made it out. I made it out of this not by my own will, not by my own power, not by my own strength. I made it out because the one who knew my way the one who knew my way. He brought me out. He deserves the glory, and he deserves the praise. So I want you to deliver me, God, for your name's sake, for your glory, not for me, not for anybody else. What a prayer. What a prayer. You better pray, David. Okay, last part, and we out out of here. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks for your name. The righteous will surround me for you will do bountifully to me. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. So David now... Is forecasting that when you bring me out of this cave, spoiler alert, David takes the throne and becomes king. So he got he he, he 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 was brought out eventually. What I love about this is David says, "When you bring me out of this cave, and when I'm able to bring glory to your name for what you've done for me, the righteous will surround me. So I'm going to be brought into a community of believers." Into a community of people where I was once alone. God, you're going to be—you're taking me to the opposite of that. You're taking me to a place where I will be surrounded by righteous people, where I'll be surrounded by the church, right? And I love this because David's faith in God is so, so deep that he forecast in advance. I might be in this cave now, but God, I believe and where you can take me, right? And the reason why I believe in where you can take me, not by my own eyes, but by what you have said, about the things you have promised to me. It might be dark right now, but God, I know you're able. And because I know you're able, I'm able to praise you in advance for what you're going to do in my life by your will, not by my will. By on your terms, not on my terms, right? And I cannot preach this enough as I come to a close. Church, Scott talked about this last week, and we're continuing this on. We have to. This is a necessity. Scott called it worship last week. I'm going to say the same thing. To enter into intense vulnerability with God. It's a necessity, right? Because... Life is hard for every single person, right? I love the, the the church mothers in the black church used to say, if you ain't been through nothing in life, just keep on living, baby. Just keep on living. It's gonna get hard at some point, right? Keep on living. So it's not a question of if your life is gonna be hard. It's a question of when it's gonna get hard. Right? And when it gets hard, we have to be brought to this intense vulnerable place so that we can relinquish control to God, right? We have to use our voice to cry out to God so that we can recognize by and by as we pray that God is the sole source of our way out. And I want you to think about this, right? David's trapped in a literal cave. That's, That's intense, right? But I don't want you to minimize your own experience. Whatever it, whatever you're going through in your life right now, it's also intense. There is no cave too small or no cave too big for our God, right? So whatever the issue you are facing in your life, I'm here telling you it's very intense. And because it's intense, church, you need to pray like David. You need to use your voice. Cry out to God. Pour out your complaint. Pour out your troubled thoughts, right? Recognize that even though you have no more strength, God is strong for you. God knows your way. And even when you realize, right, that this problem is too strong for me, right, that is the right place to be. You have been brought to the right place because it is too strong for you. It is too big for you but it's not too big for your God. So church, I can't encourage you enough. I cannot preach this enough. Look to your instrument. Look to the one who can fix your problems, who can counsel you through your problems, who can guide you through your problems. This psalm is peppered with hope. There's hope throughout this psalm. As hard as David is is crying out, this guy has hope, man. He has hope in a cave, in a literal cave. He has hope, church. And see, there's always reason to hope when God is there. And guess what? Spoiler alert, he's always there. He's always there. So there's always reason to hope. But just because there's always reason to hope, and just because and just because uh, 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 he's always there, it does not mean that you can't feel. Don't fake it. Don't hide your emotions. Feel all the feels, and be brought to a low enough place to to where you say, "I need God more than anything." Let's pray, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Thank you so much, God, for Psalm 142. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, your word is, 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 is all-encompassing, and it is all-knowing, and God, it is just so, so, so wise. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us, we thank you, Lord, for all that you're gonna do, for all that you're gonna do for us on our behalf in the future. And Lord, we claim by the power of your name that whatever situation we might be in right now, whatever our cave experience might be right now, Lord, we proclaim right now that you know the way out. You know my way out. So therefore, Lord, I put my trust in you. We put our trust in you, God. We thank you for this psalm because it encourages us that when we are in a cave experience, we know what our posture should be. We know what our heart posture should be, Lord. And it should be the one like David has here. So we thank you for the gift and the matches wisdom of your word. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Every week